1: Today on the ZabeCast, the start of the 119th U.S. Open. Will the USGA screw it up again? Will Tiger Woods turn back the clock to his epic win in 2000? Also, the Warriors come clean, sorta, on the Kevin Durant-Achilles fiasco. David Ortiz' story gets crazier, and the U.S. women's national team become the ugly Americans, at least for a day. Your digital dose of extra me is locked and loaded, so buckle up and let's go! Oh, 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 oh. Here we go! Thursday, June 13, 2019. Thank you for downloading. It is just me today, if that's all right with you people. I've got plenty to talk about, and there's a lot of good material. The U.S. Open uh, begins later on this morning from Pebble Beach, California. Pebble Beach Golf, from the Monterey Peninsula. I don't know the exact town. I guess Carmel, California. Either way, it is absolutely some of the most spectacular Vistas you will ever lay your eyes on, and yes, playing the course is insanely expensive, and yes, I have played it. For those that are curious, as a golf nerd, a golf fanatic, I think your resume is definitely not complete if you have never played Pebble Beach. Now, the last time I played it, uh, and I think I only played it once, I think only once. Well, yeah, I was only once. I was back in the '90s when I was living in Santa Barbara, California, myself. And then uh, K- K, uh, K-Y-T, KYT, the FM station in town the afternoon FM DJ who became a good friend of mine John Alden who later went who went by the you know the on air name of John Fredericks he would then move on after we parted ways in uh, California I went back east and he was still there he started doing television weather. In Santa Barbara, California, and then he moved to Las Vegas. He became quite a popular weatherman in Las Vegas. Sadly, uh, my friend John had a severe drinking problem, uh, and he pretty much uh, drank himself to death. He 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 ruined his liver, uh, and ended up uh, dying at way too early of an age. And with that sad story, let me rewind to happier times. So one weekend, I forget. What motivated this? Because John and I used to play golf on the weekends at Santa Barbara Municipal Course down there in California. It was just a humble little muni um, right there in the foothills of the mountain. I mean, still a beautiful setting for a golf course, but it was a muni. And one weekend we decided, fuck it, let's go to Pebble. Let's go do a guy's weekend up in Pebble Beach. And we're like, all right, let's do it. Why not? We're young. He wasn't married. I wasn't married. No kids. Had a little bit of change in our pocket. I mean, it was expensive for us back then but I I don't recall what I paid to play it it was not $500 but it was um it was several hundred if I do recall amazing course amazing scenery and we played Pebble Beach we played Spyglass Hill which is also insanely awesome and Poppy Hills which is just okay and we stayed up at the Lodge at Pebble Beach and it was a like a long 3 or 4 day weekend we actually had We had so much fun. We called the station back and said, yeah, we're not going to be back till Tuesday. We stayed an extra day, which was, it was fantastic. It seems like another lifetime ago that I could do this, just arrange a weekend trip up to Pebble Beach and stay an extra day because of uh, why not. But the golf course itself is a classic. It's our version of St. Andrews, only it's a better golf course and it's, More interesting than St. Andrews. No offense to the old course, which of course is more historic and revered. But this is our St. Andrews, and this is going to be a great venue for the U.S. Open. I would predict that the winning score is once again going to be somewhere just around par because the greens are tiny out there, and they can get them super firm and fast, and you've got the possibility of some wind and some elements, and the rough, they grow deep enough to lose a dog. And that is going to help, I think, limit anyone from running away with it this time. But in 2000, Tiger Woods delivered the most epic, dominant performance in a professional golf tournament the world has ever seen and likely we're ever going to see again. He wins the U.S. Open by 12 shots. Uh, He was – excuse me, excuse me. He wins by 15 shots. I forgot – He won by 15, he was 12 under par, second place, I think it's Thomas Bjorn, was three over par. Tiger minus 12, second place, plus three. Thanks for playing, fellas. Have a good day. Not only did Tiger Woods finish 12 under when the next closest guy was plus three, he did it with a triple bogey on Saturday. That is often forgotten about Tiger Woods' performance that week at Pebble Beach. Also, one of the anecdotes told about that week at Pebble because they had a a weather delay, a fog delay that uh, caused them to have to come out and finish their round. On Friday, I believe it was, on 18, Tiger had to uh, finish up his round. They go to 18, him and Stevie Williams, the greatest caddy on the planet, just ask him. And Tiger snipe hooks his tee shot into the Pacific Ocean. A string of expletives follows. I mean, fuck, son of a bitch. Stevie Williams apparently only brought one other ball with him. They were on the putting green prior to going out to finishing their round, and he just forgot. He didn't have enough balls in his his golf bag, and so Stevie is then asking Tiger, who's like, give me another ball. And Stevie's like, so you sure you want to hit driver? And Tiger's like, yeah, why? And Stevie's like, uh, nothing, mate, in his New Zealand accent. Tiger striped a second one safely, but the story that's been told afterwards is that that was Tiger's last ball. And under the rules of golf, you can't just borrow somebody else's golf ball if you run out. Now, in theory, he could have run up to the pro shop, or Stevie would have had to have run up there and purchased a ball that fit the make and the spec and the model of Tiger's golf ball, because that's the rule. But it was theoretically possible if Tiger had snap-hooked that second drive into the Pacific that he would have been disqualified for running out of golf balls at the tournament in which he ran away with it and won by 15 shots. Nobody has come close to winning a major by 15 shots. In fact, I don't know if there's even been a tour event that has been won by 15 shots. To separate yourself from the field By 15 shots on the professional tour is unheard of. And Tiger Woods did it that week. Of course, that was the Tiger Woods who was a lot skinnier. That was the Tiger Woods who wore baggy, perhaps oversized golf shirts. He was practically swimming in those golf shirts of his. Still had insane clubhead speed. Still had phenomenal strength to hit the ball out of the rough. They showed on Golf Channel on Wednesday night. Tiger hitting the ball out of the rough on 6, the par 5, going up over the hill. Getting home in 2 with a 7-iron out of the rough from 200 yards. Roger Maltby, calling the uh, tournament at the time, said it's not a fair fight. It's not a fair fight. So will Tiger Woods win this week? Nah. a lot of people are picking him. I'm not so sure. I still think he's not straight enough off the tee. That the Masters, everything had to fall in place for him, and he had to play a course in which, Yes, he could get away with some wayward shots. Tiger will get punished at Pebble if he is not tack sharp off the tee and hitting a lot of fairways. I wouldn't bet against him, per se. I wouldn't say he has no shot, but he wouldn't be my pick. My pick is Brooks Kepka until Brooks Kepka either doesn't play well or loses a major. I don't think he lost the Masters Kepka. I think he just ran out of holes. That's pretty much it. So I'm taking Kepka until he lets me down. Funny thing about Kepka is he was pissed that he was not included in a promo that Fox was running for the tournament. Oh, I said, are you going to miss Johnny Miller? Well, of course you're not going to miss him. It's on Fox. What am I thinking? Duh. NBC hasn't done the Open in quite some time. Okay. And with that, enough of the golf nerdery. I promised you this week you'd get your golf nerdery, but you get it early. More nerdery to come tomorrow because Ron Thomas... Uh, my number one golf nerd is going to be with me, and we will go over the first round of the U.S. Open at Pebble Beach. Meanwhile, the U.S. women's soccer team landed in a little pile of shit after their first win against Thailand. Th- Thailand. I love the Hangover 2, the Allen uh, speech. Uh, here, here it is right here. This is uh, from Hangover 2. I think every bit as good as Hangover 1. Don't at me on that because I'm just not going to argue with you on it. Uh, here was his uh, thing on Thailand. Come on, I, I loaded this this morning, and I'm having a hard time finding it. Canada, Fugitive Donuts, Koharski. Uh, facts about Thailand. Here you go. I've also prepared a few words. Hey, everybody, here's some fun facts. The population in Thailand is 63 million people. It is twice the size of Wyoming. Its chief exports are textiles, footwear, and rice. Textiles. Each year, approximately 13,000 people are killed in car accidents in Thailand. The climate Alan, in Thailand. Uh, is... Alan, why don't
0: you skip to the last card there, buddy?
1: Very funny scene. Now, do you notice that I cinched up and I took out some of the awkward pauses in that speech? I'm sure you hangover fanatics and hangover nerds. Nerds! Notice that. Because it was a much more awkward speech. I'm like, eh, it's for radio. Let me cut that out, cut that out, cut that out. So here here were the U.S. American women. U.S. American women. Here, here was the U.S. national team, our gals, and they were killing Thailand 13 to nothing. And during the game, they were bebopping and scatting, they were celebrating quite a bit. Alex Morgan was counting her goals on one hand. One, two, three. She had five. Megan Rapinoe, who had scored multiple times, did a slide and a cha 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 Broadway kick right in front of the team. It was a bit much, but then again, the reaction from some quarters of the media was also too much. It was
0: the way in which they did it, which is now sparking headlines. And Claire, I loved what you said. If you were going this to away, do it, this is
1: TSN's Canadian. It with
0: And they did not. Megan Rapinoe has scored countless goals on the international stage. She was celebrating like she had her first. We can understand if it was a first goal like a Mallory Pugh, but when you're Alex Morgan, too, and you're counting out your goals... It was just unacceptable. Well, I understand there's a goal differential race in this tournament. I understand they're nervous about drawing Sweden later in the tournament, but this was disgraceful from the United States. I would have hoped they could have won with humility and grace, but celebrating goals 8, 9, 10 the way they were doing is really unnecessary. I'm all about passion, um, and I think as a Canadian we would just never, ever think of doing something like that. Um, we played against the Americans before where you have a player of Christine Sinclair scoring three goals and she would never even think about counting how many goals she has on one hand. For me, it's disrespectful. It's disgraceful. Um, I just wow. hats off to Thailand for holding their head high. I mean, their first time on a World Cup stage. I'd love to be there to just hug them all. Yeah, the U.S. is fully capable of blowing out teams. And, of course, in the the World Cup, you're not going to hold back. And maybe they have an internal target they want to meet or trying to break the record. But, I mean, it embarrasses the word for Jill Ellis, I think, the way she was leading her team in this one.
1: Unbelievable. So, obviously, they were pearl-clutching, disgraceful, disappointing, unacceptable, classless, blah, blah, blah. It was a bit much. But guess what? Nobody died. And what they didn't show you, is that after the game, the U.S. women's players were seen, uh, you know, consult not consoling, but they were encouraging and shaking hands and putting their arms around the Thai players and trying to say, "Hey, you know what? You're not on our level. This was quite a, a beating, but guess what? You know, uh, you guys will get better. You'll keep on keeping on. This doesn't doesn't stop. By the way, people from now creating a shooting gallery, a shooting gallery. That's a bad uh, choice of words there. It, it's like a BB sometimes, these stories in sports that rattle around in an empty coffee cup making a lot of noise. It's a tiny thing, just a BB. People are now taking sides, and they're taking shots at the Canadian panel, like I took shots at them. And, you know, people are getting their hot takes off. I saw John Feinstein on Twitter ripping Abby Wambach. Abby Wambach was defending the team because she said, well, they wouldn't do this to a men's team if they celebrated like this and uh, won 13 to nothing. Well, first of all, the men would never beat anybody by 13 to nothing. In fact, I don't think there's a whole lot of, excuse me, World Cup games involving the men that are, end up 13 nil, not 13 nothing. But it was all just a bit too much. It's such low-hanging, easy fruit. And of course, I I ate the fruit too. I plucked it off the tree and milked it for the segment that it was worth on my radio shows. And I'm doing so now, again, on the Zabecast. But one of the panelists for the Canadian uh, broadcaster said, for all the people out there issuing me death threats, oh, Lord. It might have only been one or two idiots on Twitter, but that's all it takes to really freak out. And I, I understand that. But it's just a symptom of where we are now, where it's slight overreaction, combined with greater overreaction, combined with everybody, get them. Personally, I kind of like the celebrations, and I didn't mind the fact the score is 13 to nothing. You know, it was excessive bat flipping by Team USA. Eh, the the Thai team, they're going to live. I don't think they looked over and like, hey. Uh, were they crying? The Thai team? Were they? There's no crying in international soccer, is there? So we'll see what happens when they meet uh, their next opponent, uh, I forget who it is. They're a uh, Chile, I believe, and Chile is also flat out terrible. And so, therefore, the USA is likely to kill them as well. I wonder if the celebration will be more muted or not. There might have been, however, a marketing tie-in that inspired these celebrations. Apparently, Hulu has some kind of marketing deal with Team USA about celebrate as if Hulu just got live sports. And maybe they were doing these celebrations on purpose in order to help tie into the marketing campaign. I don't know. I wouldn't be shocked if it was. Oh, yeah, one more thing that was pretty comical. The Canadian broadcast outfit, TSN, put black bikini bars over the celebrations by the Team USA members and then removed them. So it was like a clip of, you know, Rapino doing a double pirouette. And then she went to go see her teammates and they blacked out part of it and then removed it. You know what a bikini bar is, where you've got a, a topless woman or a nip slip and they put the black bar over it, like, uh oh, we got a nipple here. Got to cover that up. It was a big, thick bikini bar over the celebrations, which I don't think was an accident. I think that is so on brand for Canadians and the Canadian broadcast system where, oh, my God, don't you dare ever offend anyone. Chilling new details emerge in the attempted murder of one David Ortiz. Five men now in custody in the DR tied to the attempted murder of the Red Sox slugger, ex-Red Sox slugger. Authorities announced Wednesday say, said it was a coordinated attack for which the men were allegedly played, paid the equivalent of just $8,000 American. Jean-Alain Rodriguez-Sanchez, the Dominican Republic's chief prosecutor, spoke in a press briefing indicating that authorities believe they have the alleged shooter in custody but are still pursuing one more suspect. They still haven't announced a motive for the attack on Ortiz or who paid for it. Nay Aldrin Batista Almonte, the director of the Dominican National Police, presented the black handgun allegedly used to shoot Ortiz on Sunday night outside a popular night spot in his hometown of Santo Domingo. It was the first time authorities confirmed publicly that the shooters were paid to target Ortiz. The five men whose mugshots I saw on TV, oh boy, you look at them and you go, yeah, those look like some very dicey Dominicans there. Some rough guys. Two of the men, including shooter Ramon Martinez Perez, who goes by the name Ralphie, left on the motorcycle to attack Ortiz. The driver was 25-year-old Eddie Vladimir Feliz Garcia, who lost control of the bike, crashed, and was detained and beaten by nearby citizens almost to death. The shooter escaped on foot, returned to the two vehicles, and fled the scene. Witnesses were able to identify the cars, and police tracked down Perez. So, if these guys were paid by a drug lord, drug kingpin, as reports had it, because Big Poppy was sleeping with the kingpin's girlfriend, mistress, wife, who who knows, then will these guys sing? Would they dare try to point at, well, it was this drug lord, so-and-so, so-and-so? Chances are, I'm thinking, nah, because even though they may be going to jail for life, they may die, they don't want their family, and anyone who knows their family, to be targeted by the drug lord and his cartel. Even more in question is, given how sometimes corrupt things can be in the third world, will the authorities go hard after the drug lord if he indeed ordered the hit? And that's what it appears to be. Or are they too conflicted, in bed with, compromised by the economics of the drug trade? Stay tuned, more to see congratulations to my listener uh, Nick Bakiris, I believe is his name who predicted it several days ago he said Zabe mark my words Big Poppy will deliver a video message to the Boston Bruins when it comes to the Stanley Cup final they'll 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 shoot him in his hospital in his hospital room saying let's go Bruins and sure enough that's apparently what he did tonight I'll hunt down the audio to, audio tomorrow it happened too late. For this particular taping. One piece of audio that I did see. Which is classic. Involves a a woman. Who I sounds like it's this guy's daughter. A woman who buys surprise tickets. For her father. For Father's Day. To go see Game 7. In the garden. And he is just totally. Blown away. At you know. I can't believe it. Uh, Here is the audio right here. Take a listen. And we are live. There we go.
0: Wait, Dad. I know you want to watch the game at a bar.
1: Yeah.
0: But I think we should watch it at the garden.
1: Yeah, like uh, hurricanes.
0: No, like in the garden.
1: Is there any, uh, any good bars in the garden? I don't
0: know. No, I think we should watch it in the garden from these... From these seats.
1: She holds up her phone, which has the electronic tickets on it. Huh? Huh?
0: From those seats. We should watch it from those.
1: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: Those are our seats. What do you mean? (laughs) Those are our seats for Game 7. I'm taking you to fucking Game 7.
1: Fucking Game 7. Get the fuck out. No.
0: (laughs) What? (laughs) Uh. I'm taking you to game seven. Game seven. Happy, so- happy early Father's Day.
1: Get out of here. These are yours. These are yours? ours. Yours? What? 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 No. What? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Get out <laughs> of oh here. God. We really are? Yes,
0: we're going. We're going to the freaking
1: bees? We're going to the game. <laughs> no. The bees. Are you shit? Come Allison. on. Allison.
0: Come on. Let's Allison.
1: Go. Oh my God. That is uh that is classic Boston right there. Good on that daughter for doing that. Very cool. And then we get to the latest round of what's our story now with the Golden State Warriors before game six of the NBA finals against the Toronto Raptors. First and foremost, Kevin Durant had reconstructive surgery on his Achilles tendon, and he is in good spirits, recovering in a New York City hospital. That's the best news of all. It's going to be a long road back, but it's going to be apparently uh, a ten to twelve week or 12, ten to twelve month recovery period. Some players have come back in the shorter time span. Others are saying with Durant and how old he is and how much he's played basketball, you should probably count on a full 12. It's a tough injury for basketball players, but you can come back from it, and you can still be, be the top flight player you once were. Maybe a little bit different, but you can still be top flight. So Kevin Durant issued a Instagram <clears throat> post from his hospital bed that read, and by the way, his Instagram account tag is Easy Money Sniper. What's good, everybody? I wanted to update you all. I did rupture my Achilles. Surgery was today, and it was a success, comma, Easy Money in all caps. When I first saw that, I thought, wait a minute, is he referring to the soon to be $31 million opt in clause he has with Golden State that he's going to use to recuperate with Easy Money? No, nah, that's his nickname, Easy Money. Okay. My road back starts now. I got my family and my loved ones by my side. We truly appreciate all the messages and support people have sent our way. Like I said Monday, I'm hurting deeply, but I'm okay. Basketball is my biggest love, and I wanted to be out there that night because that's what I do. I wanted to help my teammates on our quest for the three-peat. It's just the way things go in this game, and I'm proud that I gave it all I physically could, and I'm proud that my brothers got the W. It's going to be a journey, but I'm built for this. I'm a hooper. I know my brothers can get this game six, and I'll be cheering with Dub Nation while they do it. Okay, good. All good there. Now, the picture of Durant. I know hospital picks never look good. He's got a lot of wires and tubes and everything else, and he's probably uh, heavily sedated. But I'm telling you, the picture, I look at it, and he looks pissed. He's got sort of an angle to his head. And, and his eyes are looking almost sort of 45 degrees off away from the camera, it's a, I don't know, I feel I feel like he's mad at me. I feel like he's mad at me for tweeting, hey, man, why don't you stick around for the end of the game? People getting mad at me for saying that, asking that. Jesus, people, calm down. Anyway, <clears throat> is Kevin Durant mad at the Golden State Warriors? Don't know yet. Don't know yet. He said all the right things in that Instagram post. He didn't thank... The coaching staff didn't thank, the medical staff didn't fully exonerate them, didn't say to Bob Myers, don't blame Bob, he had nothing to do with this. Uh, How's it going, uh, Bob Myers? Good? Not so good? Great? I cannot find these bites the way I want to. The Damn, it's the, okay. Well, if I organized them, then that would be one thing. But I'm not organized. I'm using a uh, program on my computer called Sound Effects Pro. And it's got a lot going for it. Pretty simple interface, but it's not the best. And there, you can color code a lot of these things. Uh, and then when I import other things, it gets moved. Okay, I'm not, I'm not moving on until I find this. There we go. Here it is. How are you? <laughs> not great, Bob. <laughs> oh God. How's it going there, Bob Myers? How are you? Not great, Bob. He didn't exonerate the staff. He didn't go to any great length to say it wasn't their fault, but he didn't have to. I'm not saying he he did, but it's it's all part of trying to ferret out, okay, what's going on? Here was Rachel Nichols talking about Steve Kerr's presser on Wednesday, which (laughs) was a, a bit of a doozy because Kerr said that they thought There was nothing more than he could do than just re-injure the calf muscle. They never envisioned. They never. He said we never thought. If anyone that was in our decision-making process thought that a blown Achilles was in the realm of possibility, they would not have sent him out there. Are you fucking kidding me? How how could it not be in the realm of possibility? It was what every Twitter doctor in the world, including me was screaming about for weeks. First of all, you're lying. It's the Achilles. Don't lie to us. And then once the, you know, even if it was a calf, uh, we know. Of course a compromised calf could lead to a blown-out Achilles. You kidding me? Here was Rachel Nichols on Presser. Out of the building with Steve Kerr and Scott, I mean, he just kept saying to me, he's like, the doctors told us that he couldn't get more hurt by coming back, that he had cleared that hurdle. And he, he just kind of kept saying that over and over again. And I think that's the pain you see on someone like his face, Bob Myers' face. They feel responsible uh, for, for this situation, even though. Course- yeah, yeah, I do feel responsible. They should feel responsible because they didn't say, you know what, you're, you're not right. You haven't played in a month. The last workout you had was terrible. We're, we're almost running out of ice. And no, we're not putting you out there. We'd love to see. I know you want to get out there, but we're not going to clear you to play. Or we're going to make it very emphatic. We don't want you to do this. They didn't do that. Uh, here was Steve Kerr in his press conference talking about would they do it again?
0: You know, we, as Bob mentioned the other the other night, this last month, was a cumulative uh, collaborative uh, effort in his rehabilitation. Uh, and that collaboration included, um, Kevin and, and um, his business partner, uh, Rich Kleinman, um, our medical staff, um, his own, um, outside, um, opinion, second opinion, doctor, uh, outside of our organization. And, um, Kevin checked all the boxes and and uh, he was cleared to play by everybody involved. Um, now, would we go back and do it over again? Damn right. Um, but that's easy to say after the uh, the results. Uh,
1: at, at first, I was confused by that because that sounded to me like if we had to do it over again, would we would go back and do it all over again. Yes, absolutely. And I'm thinking, why it turned out terribly? It blew his Achilles out. But what he really meant was. Uh, You know, in retrospect, if we had it to do again differently, and the word differently was not used, but I guess that was assumed or implied, or maybe it was in the question actually, uh, he changed his tune on that. Here's what I think is the real net-net of it. The real nut and the real net-net. Jason Whitlock over on Fox Sports 1. Yesterday, NBC Sports Tom Haberstroh published a story filled with medical experts questioning Kerr's strategy of playing Durant 12 of the first 14 minutes of an NBA Finals game after Durant sat out of basketball for more than a month. Papastro quoted a longtime director of performance as saying, just seems unacceptable. Doesn't make any sense. The Warriors proceeded without caution when it came to Kevin Durant, who was expected to leave the Golden State this offseason. But listen to what Steve Kerr said about sitting Klay Thompson during Game 3
0: never would have forgiven myself if uh, if I played him tonight and and he had gotten hurt. Um, So you live with uh, the decision you make a wise decision the wisest one you can then you live with it and you move forward.
1: Unlike Kevin Durant Thompson isn't expected to leave Golden State this offseason. I subscribe to that theory right there that Golden State clearly would have taken more caution with an asset that they figured they were going to keep long term and they had already gotten the vibe that Kevin was gone so why not go ahead and clear him i think also durant probably didn't want to play himself but when they cleared him medically they didn't kevin was worried that oh it's going to leak that they've cleared me to play medically and i declined to play what i think we all find completely insane And laughable, almost, is this notion of, gee, if we had any idea that it was in the realm of possibility that he'd blow out his Achilles, we would have never put him out there. If that's really the case, you've got the shittiest doctors in the history of big-time sports. Because that was absolutely in the realm of possibility. So, Kevin Durant has been stitched up. He's got the long road to recovery. He got the photo. The angry-looking photo, maybe I'm reading too much into it. I did text Jay, the notorious one. I said, what do you make of this picture? Let me get you Jay's response here on my actual phone. (laughs) He said, said, picture-taking in the hospital is SOFT, all caps. I said, but doesn't he look pissed, though? And did you take any photos when you were in the hospital? "Um, No, said Jay. I'm not a bitch like Durant. I said he looks pissed at me. No, he's high off the drugs. Besides, you're studying this one like the Zapruder film. Okay. Fascinating. The personalities, the mental side, the emotional side of these big-time players. Uh, This is not your father's NBA, I guess, is the bottom line. This is not what we grew up on, where it was a much simpler league. Very complicated. And now the offseason wheels have begun to turn, as the Celtics are apparently in the hunt in a trade for the Unibrow, Anthony Davis, and already his agent, Rich Paul, has said anyone that trades for him, including Boston, they're getting a one-year rental, that we will do what we do. We will fulfill our obligations in a trade, but then we're hitting the free agent market next summer, which is fine. It's fine to say that ahead of time and fine to declare that, I think. You don't have to you know, promise that you're going to sign a long-term deal. Does he want to be in Boston? No, he wants to be in L.A. with LeBron and the Lakers. So we'll see if Rich Paul can manage that one and get him where he wants to go. And then finally on the NBA, there's this. Apparently, according to uh, the New York Post's Andrew Marchand and the website Sports by Brooks, Michelle Beadle along with Paul Pierce and Chauncey Billups are all out on ESPN's NBA Countdown show. Beatle, of course, has a hefty $5 million star salary, which was one of the last acts of the cocaine-addled then-president of ESPN, John Skipper, before he got bounced. And she uh, didn't want to be part of Get Up. From uh, She was on Get Up, I think, for a hot minute, and then launched into a diatribe about how evil and awful the NFL is because of some of the uh, hashtag Me Too things that were going on in the NFL some of the domestic violence issues, and she went off on a a big soapbox speech, and they quickly said, yeah, you know what? Nah, that's not what we're looking for. Not what we're looking for in the morning and not what the audience is looking for. So they shipped her out west, which is great for her because I'm sure she likes living in L.A. much better, and she just did ESPN stuff, just did, I should say, NBA stuff for ESPN, which also, great gig. I think she's good. She's good on N- on NBA. She's good on air. Just the overall brand. I used to be much higher on Michelle Beadle before she really got this righteous stance and really let herself get out there on Twitter and, uh, and started taking positions and started politicking and everything else. I think it kind of ruined her brand. Michelle Beadle used to be that cool, plausible girlfriend, plausible wife who really knew sports and likes wrestling and everything else. And. Was fun to be around. Great sense of humor. And then she became a scold. Nobody really likes that. I think Pierce sucks. Uh, Billups is okay. But problem is the gold standard is over there on TNT. The gold standard is Ernie, Charles, Kenny the Jet, Shaq. You can't beat that in terms of the NBA. That show is better to watch than the NBA itself. And ESPN is going to probably chase its tail hopelessly trying to get something that is uh, approaching that in terms of watchability and and enjoyability. And the reason is they let those guys on TNT say what they want to say. They're critical. They're sarcastic. They clown on each other. They clown on players. They don't care. They're like sitting at a bar with four of your best friends who just happen to be three ex-NBA players and a very well-liked broadcaster in Ernie Johnson. ESPN has still not found a way to replicate that. Aside from maybe Scott Van Pelt show, they just haven't been able to do it. Apparently, Maria Taylor and Rachel Nichols and um, uh, Laura Rutledge, who's a rising star, could be the next host. ESPN actually put a comment out saying, Our whole NBA team is doing a great job and remains focused on an incredible finals in tomorrow night's Game 6. We've made no decisions about what we are doing next season. After the season, as we do with every sport, we will sit down and plan our entire NBA content offering across platforms. Blah, blah, blah. Blah, 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 blah. You did see, by the way, they got rid of ESPN Deportes Radio. Not television, but ESPN Deportes Radio. That's a bunch of jobs lost there. I don't know why they did it. Apparently, it's cost-cutting. And again, the cocaine-addict president who on a spending splurge like you couldn't believe on his way out the door on salaries, on studios, on expensive shows. He's off to DAZN now, John Skipper. He's landed into another nice, cush, broadcasting executive position. These poor suckers at ESPN Deportes, they're out because Skipper couldn't manage ESPN's money. Finally, here's one for the road. Honda has created the leanest, meanest, fastest grass-cutting machine on planet Earth. The engineers at Honda have broken the record for fastest lawnmower acceleration. The new Mean Mower V2 broke the Guinness World Record going from 0 to 100 miles per hour in a time of 6.29 seconds. At top speed, the mower can reach 150 miles per hour. For perspective, the average riding lawnmower travels at 5 to 6 miles an hour, said a spokesman for... Honda, and their outdoor uh, lawn equipment. At a light jog, your push mower might reach 3 to 4 miles per hour. To meet the Guinness World Records qualifications, though, the mower had to record the same run in both directions within an hour with the average acceleration of the two runs taken as the official time. What the mower didn't have to do to meet the world record standard is cut grass while doing it. The Mean Mower V2 is not commercially available to own as of now, and it had its grass cutting capabilities on it. Uh, by the way, the 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 only obligation was you didn't have to cut grass while setting the record, but the mower still had to have grass cutting capabilities, and still looked like a functional lawnmower, which this did. It looked like something uh, looked like a reclining motorcycle on four wheels that was uh, looked like a souped-up lawnmower is what it looked like. And yes, it can cut grass. I want, though, and this is really what it needs to be for the true world record, they need to get a flat, smooth-as-can-be strip of grass that's long, several hundred yards long, and then time the mower that can cut one strip up and one strip back in the fastest time. That would reward both speed performance, handling, cutting power and turnability. That's the record I want to see. And you better have those guys buckled in pretty good because at those speeds or anything approaching it, one tiny little bump in the grass, <laughs> you're going to go flying. That'll do it for me today. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you. It was just you and I today, and I actually kind of enjoyed it. Feedback and comments, if you like, at zabe at yahoo.com. I do read them all, and I take them to heart, even if I disagree sometimes and say, nah, I'm not going to do that. I do appreciate the feedback. Also, hit me up on Twitter, at Zabe. Don't forget, download the app for the podcast. It's absolutely free. Search for ZabeCast in Google Play or in iTunes. And in the meantime, if you want Fridays, please subscribe to the subscriber version of the ZabeCast. It's only $5 a month. It helps keep the lights on and me motivated to keep on doing what I do. Thanks for listening. Have yourself a great Thursday, and we will see you next time.